0: Welcome to Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer. I've worked in the animal health industry. And prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician as they share their own directions, their interesting career decisions, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me today as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the profession we love. Today's guest is Deb Blades, a certified veterinary technician and currently serves as practice manager of veterinary specialty and emergency center in their Levittown, Pennsylvania location.
1: Welcome to the show, Deb. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here to add to your passion. So thank you. Well, you're so
0: welcome. You know, one of the things I like to do, I'd like to start off the show with asking my guests what they actually do in their current job. Give us a
1: summary?
0: Oh, a day in
1: the life. Um, so it's really interesting because this is a new role for me. Um, I've been in the practice manager role for only four months now. Um, and so I'm still learning new things. I'm still learning kind of, I don't know what I don't know. Um, but pretty much the summary is, um, I am, um, kind of represent, our location, so I represent the clients and the patients and the client service team and the technician team and the doctor team, and everybody involved to make really fluffy go out the front door together. Um, that's, the, that's the ultimate goal here for all of us. So um, every day looks different, um, which is one of the things that I really enjoy about it.
0: Well, that is very interesting because you really do cover from the very start of when the patient enters your door all the way to when they leave and we'll see you back in two weeks or see you in six months. For sure.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: So you graduated from Harcum College in Pennsylvania with an associate's degree in animal health technology. And then several years later, you attended Delaware Valley College of Science and Agriculture and received a bachelor's degree in small animal science. That's that's different in the sense
1: of why did you decide to pursue a bachelor's degree? I think it's an interesting question. I think the real answer is, um, I wanted a bachelor's degree because if I had decided to kind of take a different path as a more mature veterinary technician, um, that I would kind of have that under my belt, um, truth also be told, um, it made my dad really ridiculously happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I understand that. Do you think it's, do you think it's necessary to have a four-year degree? Like,
1: would you recommend that to anybody who's going this path? You know, a couple answers here. Um, as a certified veterinary technician, the clinical aspect, I don't think it's absolutely necessary. Um, I, however, I always think more schooling is good. Um, and, and I, I do focus on, you know, as a veterinary technician, our jobs are very physical. Um, and so, um, to have kind of some more options, um, for your older life path, um, I think is, is always a good thing. Um, so that's kind of a mixed bag answer to your question. Um, but, um, I, I would never, I would never dissuade anybody from, from, um, you know, going for more education.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like it's almost like an insurance policy in case your back gives out or down the road, you want, as you said, more options, you have that. Exactly. Yeah. So let's go down your career path. Here we go. Um, you worked in the ICU at University of Pennsylvania for many years, and you didn't start
1: in a general practice. Why was that? I So going through Harcum, um, their practicum takes you, takes any Harcum student through every um, service at the University of Pennsylvania. And so I was exposed to that as a student, um, and they, they kind of offered me a position right off of my practicum. Um, and I, I thought that that was just the most amazing thing. Um, and so that really, and, you know, it got my feet wet, um, rotating through a couple of weeks here and there. And so it was just, there was not one negative thing that I could say about it. Um, even the, the large animal rotation, <laughs> which I, I have some really interesting stories about. But, you know, I'm, I'm a girl from the suburbs that, you know, saw, you know, black beauty or whatever in the movies and never really touched farm animals until going to New Bolton Center. Um, so even that I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, but, um, yeah, so they, they offered me a job right off of my practicum. And so I jumped at it really. All right. Well, hang
0: on. No, I, I mean, you can't just say, yeah, I have some really interesting large animal stories and then not
1: <laughs> say them and tell us right? them. So come on, spit so, them out. So, um, at New Bolton Center, we're you know the the veterinary technology students kind of are the last in line for the cool stuff, right? There's there's um, veterinary students and interns and residents, and then you get to the you know the staff veterinarian. So um, I was working an overnight shift, which was another new thing to me, um, and. One of the technicians that worked there said, handed me a a syringe and it was a slurried like sucral fate and said, here, go give this to this foal in D barn. Okay, I could do, I could do that. And so I go in and the mare and foal are there and I, I'm like, okay, feeling really confident. I got this. I'm going to be able to like medicate this foal. And so I put my body between the foal and the mare. Oh. Because nobody ever told me that, that was a bad <laughs> idea. And the mayor, full on, kicked me across the, the stall. I hit the, you know, the barn door. And I guess the good news is like, I was like, well, I got it. Okay. You're, you're like loud and clear loud and clear. You're in charge of me. Um, and so I left that stall and, you know, I, I, talk to the veterinary technicians that were there and they're like, "Oh, yeah, you should never do that." I'm like, okay, thanks. And you know, like hoof prints, like bruised hoof prints on my back for a week. I was going to say, "Were you okay?" I was okay. I was just like yeah. I was a little squashed a little bit, you know, but my back hurt, but I was totally fine. But it was a good life lesson. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes, a life lesson so a you don't lesson. die. Yeah. Right.
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> my intro to farm animals. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. And that is quite the intro. Um, and, you know, talking about kind of your introduction,
1: you know, you got
0: introduced to an academic setting. And
1: what was that like? The services were very kind of work in a bubble. So, like, I I remember I, the very first time I came to VSEC um, and a veterinarian said, "Okay, um, I need you to help me unblock this cat. Get this and this and this for me." I'm like, "I just worked at Penn for six and a half years, and I never unblocked a cat." <laughs> right? I can, I can put a husky on a ventilator by myself on the overnight. But I've never unblocked a cat. So that was really interesting. And we, you know, didn't do x rays. We would, you know, submit the form to the technicians that were responsible for completing the x rays. So um, um, very specialized in every one of your services. So that was a good thing and a bad thing. I think it was a for sure. Eye-opening when I came to private practice, all the things that I didn't get to see. Um, so that was, I would I would say, really interesting. And so let's let's
0: talk about that further because there are pluses and negatives to the academic versus the private setting. And what were some of the real positives?
1: The positives are that you have all these amazing brains that you work with, like these internationally known veterinarians that, you know, are published and lecturers and, and to just kind of sit back and be a wallflower and listen to rounds was amazing every day. Um, And that part I love, even if they kind of, Said words that I didn't understand. I would, you know, take notes and kind of do my homework at night or on the weekend when I was off. But um, that, for sure, number one positive. Number one positive is the brain power.
0: And what what would you say were the downsides to it? It sounded like what you were starting to describe was that you were in a bubble yep. a lot of times. Would you say that's the
1: biggest drawback? I think it's the biggest drawback for sure. Um, I mean, outside of um, the hours, which you could argue we choose, right? When we go into um, specialty in emergency medicine, we choose weird hours and you know, holidays and all of that. So So putting that aside, I would say that having technicians be in a bubble and be kind of focused on one one piece of their service every day, Um, is sometimes doesn't produce um, well-rounded technicians. That would be Mm -hmm. my negative.
0: Because you're so specialized. Right. 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 I understand. And so when we talk about your work in the ICU and the ER, I'm curious in terms of what personality traits do you think you need as a technician to thrive in that setting? Like to be a superstar and to be fulfilled. What is that?
1: I think to be a, a, a rock star and a superstar, you have to love to multitask. Your brain has to be able to do 18 things simultaneously and to keep track of them all. Um, and you have to kind of like to be busy and like to be vertical for 12 to 14 hours, you know, on your shift. Um, and you have to take those things and say, that's fun. (laughs) Uh That's the, that's the kind of crazy of emergency and critical care vet techs and veterinarians, I think crazy in a good way. Um, That, that there's always something going on in your brain, i.e. you're looking at something in front of you and thinking 18 steps ahead, thinking about what your doctor's going to want and all of that stuff.
0: So you described some very important skills in terms of being able to multitask and you, you listed some very um, key things that you have to be able to do in that situation. But in terms of personality, like could a shy person thrive in that? Could a person who um, doesn't like to talk to people thrive in that environment? What sort of character traits sure. are needed?
1: I have met shy ECC technicians, um, I would say for the most part, the rock star ECC tech is a kind of out there, confident, maybe lives at volume eight to 10, <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, is uh, kind of wears their heart on their sleeve. Um, that kind of personality are the rockstar ECC technicians that I've met in my career. Um, And the, the, and you know, that can get you in trouble too. Like (laughs) being at volume eight to 10 every day, all day is, you know, sometimes people need a four. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, But for the, for the majority, the, the ECC techs are like that, loud big personality can all of this just be developed over time right Uh, a young veterinary technician or veterinary technician student is listening i would never want them to hear if you're an introvert and shy this is not the service for you um i am somebody that's developed you know like training programs and clinical programs but part of that has to be the confidence and the just try it one time and and see what you know you're not going to die you know just to kind of rip it off and it might feel uncomfortable if you are a shy introvert but nothing bad will happen if you just try to put put yourself out there one time and just kind of like like rip it off like a band-aid you know um so i would never ever want anyone to hear you can't do that because you're shy
0: right right i completely agree and let's talk about the cases in terms of when you're in the icu it gets really intense do you have cases that stand out in your mind that went really well and how'd you feel about them
1: i was thinking about that um since the last time we talked or the beginning of, of when I met you and the one there's one case from Penn actually that stood out. She was like this really, and interestingly enough, I don't remember her name, but she was this like perfect fawn Mastiff, English Mastiff. And she had a chylothorax. um, And she was in the ICU. She had surgery, was in the ICU for I'm going to say three to seven days. I don't remember specifically. And she was a show dog. So she was very, she was well-behaved. She was more, I would say on the emotional kind of um, level. Um, And when she on, during her discharge, we knew she responded to applause because of her history of being in the show ring so the entire staff kind of stood and applauded as she left the ICU for the last time hopefully we were thinking and she just put on her show stance and she was like you know prancing like the perfect show dog that she was and so that you know there wasn't a dry eye right and so that's super cool you know when you're um when you're a part of a team that, that contributes to that. Mm -hmm.
0: And what adjustments did you have to make coming from academia? We talked about it a little bit, going from academia to a specialty private practice.
1: I had more client facing responsibilities um, in private practice. So that was for sure a learning curve. And in the, in the beginning, honestly, not a learning curve that I loved, (laughs) And, um, and as I grew in my career and, and started to take on some supervisory stuff, I learned that the soft scale part of our job is really almost equally as important as me being able to place a catheter or, um, you know, monitor the general anesthesia. I mean, the the soft skill, the way you talk to people, to clients, to each other is huge. Um, and so, again, not something that I thought of as a 21-year-old, um, but I appreciated the growth and the kind of the CE that I did throughout my career for like emotionally, emotion, emotional intelligence um, versus, you know, like how to place this triple lumen catheter, um, both really equal, equal of equal value for sure. For a technician who just
0: graduates, which way would you steer them? I mean, would, you know, we just talked about in private practice, you've got a lot more client interaction, whether you like it or not. Would you steer them right to specialty? Would you say, you know what, go to general practice? Would
1: you say, no, go right into academia? I would say grow on your base skill set in general practice, and um, and you know, specialty medicine isn't for everybody. It's just not. We see sick of the sick and injured of the injured, um, and um, the general practitioner, practitioner, veterinary technician is doing more these days than I did in the in the early nineties. Um, and so it it really depends on what your goals are, um, what your strengths are. Um, and you know, thank God there are rock star, general practitioner, veterinary technicians that love to perform dental exams and dental cleanings. Um And you can specialize in that now you can become a VTS in dentistry um, as a general practitioner, veterinary technician. So I think that's super cool. Um, And you just have to check yourself like, you know, yearly or every other year to make sure that you're doing what it keeps making you happy, and that you're adding to what your life goal is life passion, most of us this is our life passion. So, um, and if you're not creating goals and action plans to get to wherever it is you want to be. And you mentioned
0: something very important, the life passion, because, you know, technicians don't, for the most part, get paid extremely well. So you're going into this really because you love it. So when they graduate, does their financial situation dictate where they should go in terms of their first job? Or you would still say, regardless of where you are financially, go into general practice to build
1: that base? I mean, we still have to pay our rent, right? So (laughs) I would say that... um... That's where confidence comes in for me. If you're, you know, if you graduate from a program and you've passed your VTNE and you're a CVT, go into that general practice and have the confidence that you deserve getting through that program and having passed that national exam and say, this is what, and 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 come with ammunition, come with your budget. This is what I need to live. I can't take less than this, I will work hard for you. I will be that go-to for your veterinary assistants or whatever their, you know, whatever their kind of tier of leadership and and growth for technicians in their hospital is. But I I wouldn't settle. Deb, I think that's brilliant. (laughs) It is. Because
0: I think so many people, regardless technician veterinarian practice manager when they're first starting out they're just like I take what I they offer me and it's really taking the bull by the horns and saying this is what I need and again you're not asking for anything outrageous you're asking for what you need to live on and to be you know comfortable again you're not you know what is sufficient and i think that's fantastic advice
1: wow <laughs> You're funny. Well, I'm fabulous. I'm hopeful that people can do that. I mean, I know, I know it's hard, but um, again, that goes back to you know communication and and kind of um, ripping off that bandage that might feel uncomfortable to some people. Um, I inter- interview veterinary assistants and veterinary technicians literally every day of my life. And I want you to ask me about money. I want you to ask me about benefits. It makes me know that you care about you and me. I'm going to swing around. Okay. So you
0: joined from an animal emergency and critical care service, you then went to veterinary specialty and emergency center again as an ICU and ER technician. Now you're doing this over 10 years. Why did you leave the prior position?
1: Interesting question. Um, It's a weird relationship. (laughs) So the Animal Emergency and Critical Care Service rented was an after hours emergency only company hospital. They rented space from a hospital that um, was owned by a surgeon that did that did surgery. Um, In 2003, when I made the switch, the emergency only practice moved out of that building and I chose to stay in that building. And at that point, then me and another technician, um, um, had to were tasked with hiring an all new emergency team. And so that was kind of an organic, um, kind of move. Um, and one that I'm thrilled that I made. And so, is this the time when you
0: became technician manager? Yes, because I'm curious as to what lit the fire for you to move into a managerial role
1: in a practice. Honestly, at that time, it was um, I was a good I was a good vet tech, and so at that time, the rock star vet techs were promoted to supervisory positions. I'm. And thankfully I learned how to talk to people since then. Um, but I now I feel like it is different. You need, you need emotional emotional intelligence. You need communication skills. You need leadership skills. And at that time you were promoted because you were a cool, you know, you could get the job done clinically. Um, not necessarily because you had leadership skills. Um, I This goes again back to mentors for me. I succeeded as a supervisor leader because I had um, a doctor who trusted me and um, had faith that I could obtain those skills that maybe were missing. I could do anything clinical he wanted me to do. Um, And he taught me a lot, a lot, a lot about people. And he's still my boss today. Um, yeah, and so um, that that for me is um, the real the the big importance of finding a mentor that you guys can be a team and kind of um, feed off of each other, if you will, um, for the the sole goal of why we're all here. Um, and you know, he took a chance in somebody that, you know, I volume 10 ECC kind of overnight tech, um, thrown into a supervisory position and, and I had to start like interviewing humans all, all in the same breath, um, (laughs) and kind of taking a chance and knowing that I would represent him, um, the way that I did. And, and, you know, you'll learn from mistakes, too. But um, for sure, he guided me um, in in what he learned throughout his career and in the trust fact factor, which was which was huge.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. And so now you are a practice manager for you know the past four months. What skills are essential for you to have to be an outstanding
1: manager even? A manager in general i think the number one skill is um listening active listening um i wanted to say stress management <laughs> <laughs> um but um <laughs> listening is key because and to and to listen to understand not to listen to kind of reply right um I need you to keep to finish what you're talking about quickly, so that I can respond to you. That's kind of not the way to lead, um, and so active listening for me, I think, I was always kind of okay at it, um, and now I practice the pause that's, that's a hard one for me. Um, But when I want to respond, but I know that whoever's coming to me with, say, a problem, they need that kind of relationship, and they need that listener, um, and that might be all they need in that moment. Um, The other might come, you know, in moments to come, but um, sometimes people just need somebody to listen to them. And so that I think is number one, for sure. What should
0: a technician look for in a practice when they first start their career? And and guide us through how to discriminate between practices that have this engaged team, they focus on development, they're connected, versus those practices that you should stay away from.
1: Yeah, that's hard, right? Because in, in the community, if you have a really great reputation for clinical expertise, Um, how do you know if it's a right fit for you? What I say to people that I interview are when you come back and you're doing a working interview, you're coming in for a couple hours out of your life and you're showing me clinically what you can do. Ask the people next to you, ask the people that have worked here for one year, five year, 10 years, why they like to work here. And I'm that confident in my team, in the team, um, that I say that to applicants. I say, I want you to ask them that because I can sit here and say, we're great. We're great. I need techs and we're, we're, you know, number one and trust me and all, but ask somebody that, that is working, that will work alongside of you and, work with you for 12 hours, vertical with you for 12 hours, ask them what's good here. Um, And so that's what I would say is key to understanding the culture. Now, you should also ask in the interview process, what the culture is like and why. um, And maybe what three things your the veterinary technicians that work here would describe about their supervisors or managers um, i i think that's a really valuable dialogue in an in interview process um, and maybe you know calling calling it out and say you know we could really we could really work on this piece um, and these are the action steps that we're taking to make this piece better. Um, and if you, if you don't have back to confidence, if you don't have that confidence in the interview process, Google it, Google it before you meet me. Right. And you can learn anything on Google. Um, and so the, Google will, would offer you three kind of like top three questions for understanding the culture of a veterinary hospital and how you understand that. But I I love to talk about that piece because um, I always say during a, a talking to a candidate, I describe my non-negotiables, um, which are teamwork and positivity, like bring me positive poly and... Don't bring me negative Nancy. Um, people used to call it, I used to say Debbie Downer, but since my name is Debbie, we've changed that a little bit. <laughs> Wouldn't work, yeah. no. Yeah, so um, because, you know, our our jobs are emotionally draining sometimes, emotionally challenging, I should say, and physically demanding. And so you don't need that added... Negative Nancy on top of that to kind of to kind of squash your day um, there may be clinical pieces that that contribute to the the squashing of the day you know if a patient isn't doing well or something like that, um, we don't need Nancy to add to it
0: right and so. <laughs> As you're describing this, you know, this physically demanding, emotionally draining, would you ever say to someone, you know, say someone came to you and said, well, what if I could really improve and expand my technical skills, but this practice has a toxic culture? Do you think that ever trumps the culture or is the culture really
1: the key to you need that in order to really get better? I think culture is key. Because if you don't have a supporting team and a supporting environment and a, and positive poly on each side of your shift, I feel like you, you, you start your shift drained, potentially, you don't have that support to, on a clinical level, support you through your VTS. Um, and so I would say that culture trumps for sure. And that you, and I would also say you should be the one to contribute to the positive polys. So don't expect others to do it for you. You should be an active participant. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be a part of this. Excellent.
0: This concludes another awesome episode of Scrub Chat a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.vetvance.com and check out Zoetta's Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. BetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to scrubchat at zoetis.com. We would love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, this is Scrub Chat.